This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer Worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby Zneimer. It's that time again, spring ahead. But what effect does daylight saving time have on your sleep? We'll talk with an expert in just a few moments. And does Canada have its own food identity? Well, a BC professor went on a coast-to-coast tour to see if there's such a thing as Canadian cuisine. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It's been collecting dust in storage for the past nine years, but later this year, the iconic Sam the Record Man sign will see the light of day again. It'll be going up on the east side of Young Dundas Square and expected to be in place sometime this summer. The grand neon sign with those two large records and spinning lights was put away in 2008 when it was taken down from the former site of the once popular record store. When Joe Bowen called his first Maple Leaf hockey game, Pierre Trudeau was prime minister. The average cost of a home, 67000 And not one of the current Maple Leafs was even born. This week, Joe called his 3,000th game for the blue and white. Back to Matthews. He scores! Four goals! Do you believe this? Holy mackinac, the kid's on fire! The 65-year-old play-by-play announcer has only missed eight games in his 35 years behind the mic and was honored by the Leafs Tuesday during a win. It's one of the best-selling albums of all time and introduced the band U2 to North America. The Joshua Tree was released 30 years ago this week. To mark the anniversary of the album, U2, whose members are all now in their mid-50s, will go out on tour this summer, playing only songs from the Joshua Tree, including Where the Streets Have No Name and With or Without You. And longtime Turner Classic Movies host Robert Osborne passed away this week at the age of 84. The cause of death has not been released. However, the network where he made his mark will be honoring him with a 48-hour tribute March 18th and 19th. The tribute will feature long-form interviews conducted by Osborne in the very first movie he introduced on TCM, Gone with the Wind. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. It happens twice a year, but it always seems to have a profound effect on us. The change to daylight saving time. And where it might have the biggest effect on us is in the Department of Sleep. Lifestyle expert Jennifer Pike joins me on the line now. The change in time, Jennifer, means Uh we're springing forward. Or are Uh we dragging ourselves forward? 
Well, that is the question for most people. Uh, you know, when we have these time changes that happen twice a year, we really have to be prepared for it and, you know, change some of the things that we're doing, A, setting ourselves up for a better night's rest in the evening. And I also think being more prepared in the morning when you do get up because, you know, this time of year, I love, I happen to be a morning person. Um, I love it because we get more light at the end of the day, but it's hard for a lot of people waking up in the morning because it's darker outside again. And, and you know, that depth of darkness can make it really challenging to get up and get going. But still, eventually, the mornings are lighter and it is easier, but it's in that initial period after springing forward when it could still be a struggle. Well, absolutely. And, you know, our bodies, we're creatures of habit. So we get used to a certain routine in a certain way. And, you know, it, it sounds like, oh, it's only an hour. But when it comes to our sleep, which so many of us are already sleep deficient, I mean, if we look at even the most national, the recent national polls, up to 59% of Canadians say that they are definitely sleep deprived. Any change in that schedule can throw your body for a loop. How deprived? Uh, pretty deprived in the sense that, you know, about 85% of them are saying that, you know, they're up at night with racing thoughts. So some people can't fall asleep. You know, they have that type of insomnia where they're so tired, but they are wired. They're lying there in bed. They desperately want to go to sleep, but the hamster wheel is still going. And then you've got people who fall asleep, but then they're waking up in the middle of the night and they can't get themselves back to sleep. And, you know, by the time the alarm goes off, you've either got a job you've got to get to, you have children you have to get ready to go to school. So we don't have the option of being able to snooze, you know, five, six times or just rolling back over. You're right. How many times, and it's happened to me, I'm sure it's even happened to you, even though you're the Mm -hmm. expert on this, where if you do get up in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and you try to fall back asleep, it's like you're trying to convince yourself quickly, get back to sleep because in a few hours you have to get up. Once you do fall asleep and all of a sudden the alarm goes off, you look over and you go, I could have sworn I was just trying to fall asleep. Right. You're telling me now that I have to get up. Exactly. And so what ends up happening is, is either, like you said, in the middle of the night, we start the war with the clock. You know, you get up, you go to the washroom, because typically most people wake up thinking, well, I just have to go to the washroom. And they go to the washroom and they come back to bed. And now you see the clock and you're like, okay, I've got, you know, three hours of sleep. And then you toss and turn a roll over. And now you're like, oh, my gosh, I only have two hours of sleep. I have one hour. And you finally fall asleep and that alarm goes off. And um, most people don't get up right away. They're, they're snoozing. So there's a couple of uh, tips around that, too. I mean, for me, the average snooze time is nine minutes. If you know you're going to snooze three times, well, that's like a half an hour. Just set the alarm a half an hour later. And instead of playing that game of snoozing three times, just get an extra half an hour of sleep. So that's one way to put the, the brakes on a busy mind? I think so. I think if you know that right now you're in that time where you're waking, and typically the time people are waking is between 1 and 4 a.m., you might have to just change your current routine and structure. And obviously, we want to talk about how we prepare for better sleep before we even get into bed. How do we do that? So a couple of things that you want to think about is, you know, just like when you would have a baby, when you're trying to get a child to sleep, you don't have loud music on it. The lights aren't bright. Everything's not noisy. You're not going full tilt and then just throwing in their bed and saying, okay, now go to sleep. And for us as adults, we're constantly plugged in. You know, we're, we're on our tablets late at night. We're on our computers. We're making lunches. We're trying to clean the house. We're trying to run down, you know, the clock, how many hours are left in the day. And by the time your body lays down, it needs time to unwind to be able to get you to sleep. So what you really need to do 
is try to keep things pretty calm in the evening. If you can set the lighting lower in your house, when you go into your bedroom, can you get rid of the electronics? Can you have dark covering blinds? Um, you know, can you put your phone, if that's your alarm, can you put it on airplane mode and have it away from your head as best as possible? Sleep in lighter clothing because the hotter you are when you go to sleep. And what most of us do is we're freezing when we get into bed. So we pile the clothes on. But then your body temperature is going to increase and you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and you are going to be so hot and that can be a stressor and prevent you from getting back to sleep. Um, some of the other things too is helping yourself by either using essential oils in the room or there's certain things that I'll have clients who are, are really challenged with their sleep do. Um, you know, magnesium is one of them. There's also um, a patented form of lavender that as opposed to spraying it in your room, you can actually take internally. It sounds like it shouldn't be that difficult to do, but, you know, leaving everything at that bedroom door or as much as you can at that mm-hmm. bedroom door, what a struggle that is for so many. More so for, for men, than, I would think, for women than men? Definitely. And that's because, you know, as, as women, and, and for men it's challenging too, but in a different sense. In most households, the women, the mothers, they're the nurturer and the caregiver, and they are doing multiple jobs, right? They've got, and if they run a business as well, too, I mean, I can speak from experience. I've got two children, a husband, a household, I run a business, um, and sometimes I don't have the time to get back to certain things that are on my devices, emails or whatever, until the evening. So even I, being the expert, know what I should and shouldn't be doing but there are times where I still do it. And I'll tell you, I, I feel the difference for sure. So it's about creating a new pattern of discipline for yourself. And I think one of the things as adults that we forget is, you know, bring yourself back to that place that you would talk to your, your five-year-old or your seven-year-old and say, like, you need to get a good night's rest. It's how your body heals. It's where you do your best work. It's how you're going to be best prepared for the next day. Um, because people don't realize that, that if you're not sleeping, you're not healing, period. Your sleep is where your body does its best level of self-care. Okay, Jennifer Pike, Toronto Holistic Nutritionist, lifestyle expert, helping us spring forward. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Jennifer Pike talking to us about sleep and daylight saving time. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. There's a new book out about Canadian cuisine. More on that when we return. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. If you had to pick one food that could be called Canadian, what would it be? Poutine? What about beaver tails? Or maybe it's Nanaimo bars. Part of the problem of describing a Canadian food is that we're so diverse. That's why we brought in Lenore Newman, a professor who's traveled the country looking for the quintessential Canadian cuisine. Your book, Speaking in Cod Tongues, A Canadian Culinary Journey, before we take a look at why write this, how did you come up with the title? Well, it's an interesting story. I didn't go into the project with a title. And uh, I was in Newfoundland, really enjoying the cuisine in Newfoundland and all the amazing chefs and everything going on there. But one of the stories I kept hearing was how much people missed having cod tongues and cheeks all the time. Because in the old days before the cod moratorium, 
they didn't use the heads for anything. They didn't go for export. So often people would take the heads, and including children, would sit behind the fish plant, cut the uh, cheeks and tongues out of the cod head. And it's not actually a tongue. It's a blob of fat. And they would fill a bucket. And at the end of the day, the whole community would fry those in a big, big iron pan with uh, pork scrutchins. And it was a real community dish, and people really missed it. And, of course, now the only place you can really get it is in a hotel or a restaurant, and the cod is imported. And it just the story stuck with me, how much these people missed the cod and how it was an economic disaster when the, the cod failed. But it was also a cultural disaster. Did you ever try what you just described? Oh, yeah, and they're great. Um, I know that's probably a little surprising because of the name, but uh, it's actually a really lovely dish. It's a bit fattier than the rest of the cod, so it's almost like a really rich cod. You don't want to eat a lot of it. It's kind of like a, you know, like a chicken wing or something. You just want a few to snack on. Sounds like an acquired taste. It could be, although I think if a person likes fish, they're, they're, they're pretty addictive, actually. I ate it a few times. All right. Now, as far as your journey, why decide to take it? Well, when I took up my Canada Research Chair in Food Security, one of the questions that kept coming up when I was at meetings and conferences, people would come up to me and say, well, there is no Canadian cuisine. Or they would say, oh, it's just like American cuisine. And I knew that wasn't quite right. But there isn't a lot written on Canadian cuisine. So I decided I really needed to get out there and answer the question once and for all. And I didn't really know what I would find and what my team of researchers would find. I mean, the book might have ended up being called Looking for Canadian Cuisine, but very quickly we determined, yes, there is a Canadian cuisine. It is really quite an amazing one, and it does exist right across the country. So I'm very happy that uh, we actually did find something. What is it? Well, the trick to understanding Canadian cuisine, if we think of a classic cuisine like French or Italian to a degree, or Japanese, those are mostly about recipes that have been developed over hundreds of years. And the best way to understand Canadian cuisine, it's a bit more about techniques and ingredients. So a bit like New Nordic cuisine or California cuisine, which are a little similar. And so what you find, we found a set of properties that we could see all across the country. And the first one, Canadians eat wild food, more than just about anyone else on earth, and that's fish, berries, uh, things like fiddleheads, even maple syrup, of course, the wild products, so a lot of wild sourcing still. Uh, we're very seasonal compared to a lot of places. Um, most parts of the country, we have seasonal delicacies we wait for. We also put ingredients forward. So rather than that formal recipe, like in a French cuisine, you tend to get named ingredients. Like you go to the restaurant and they'll say, oh, yeah, this, these are Pemberton potatoes and here's a nice Ontario wine and, you know, these ramps are from Quebec or something like that. Things tend to be named and the ingredient is really highlighted. It isn't hidden under a sauce. Also, and very importantly, an extremely multicultural cuisine. Indigenous people, the two founding nations, and wave after wave of immigrants have been incorporated into this cuisine. 
So not necessarily a national dish. Would there be a national ingredient? Uh, yes, and uh, we kind of have both. Uh, the national ingredient is going to be maple syrup. It's a bit of a stereotype, but it's definitely true. And right across the country, chefs break out the maple syrup for pretty well every course. And uh, so, that you know, that's true. And when you go to the airport, you can buy your little bottles of maple syrup. And I think we just need to embrace that. National dish, though, would probably be poutine, because we found poutine in every region of the country. The only Canadian twist is we tended to do something to it regionally. So in Newfoundland, they put bread dressing on it. And uh, out here in B.C., sometimes you get butter chicken poutine. Uh, Right across the country, we tend to... uh, take the basic poutine and make it uh, local. But uh, poutine, probably our national dish. Lenore Newman, author of Speaking in Cod Tongues, A Canadian Culinary Journey. Thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. That's Professor and author Lenore Newman. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. James Taylor celebrates his 69th birthday. We'll have more on that in a moment. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP. A new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer. It's time for your International Arts Datebook with tips for those of you jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. Broadway finds out what Come From Away is all about as the hit Canadian musical premieres this weekend. Come From Away explores the lives of a group of stranded travelers whose planes are diverted to gander after the terror attacks on September 11, 2001. It's at the Gerald Schoenfeld Theatre. In London, the British Museum is staging its first exhibition focusing on the Pacific Northwest Coast, which commemorates centuries of Indigenous art from British Columbia, Alaska, and Washington State. Now underway at the National Gallery in Kingston, Jamaica. It's the 2017 Jamaica Biennial, organized by the largest and oldest public art museum in the Anglophone Caribbean. It exclusively features the work of Jamaica and Jamaica diaspora artists. And at Norway's National Museum in Oslo, the exhibition Snap focuses on documentary and portrait photography. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Iconic Zoomer folk singer James Taylor is celebrating his 69th birthday. Over his career, he's released 17 studio albums, won five Grammys, been inducted into both the Songwriters Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, received an honorary doctorate from Berklee College of Music, and earned himself a spot on Rolling Stone magazine's list of 100 greatest artists of all time. Right now, we'll celebrate his birthday with one of his earliest hits from his 1970 album, Sweet Baby James, Here's Fire and Rain. That was Fire and Rain by James Taylor, the iconic Zoomer folk singer. Happy 69th. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Komsik in for Libby's Nimer, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited, executive producer Moses Nimer. 
Produced by Dave Woodard, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.